We are now recording. And in five seconds, I'm just going to start talking. Okay. <clears throat> Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I am joined by Tracy Pearson here on a beautiful Friday afternoon here in the uh, great state of California. Tracy, how are you today? I don't know, Dave. I'm not a psychosomatic kind of guy, but I just, I've been like bunkered down in my house, but I just went to the grocery store and everyone's got to be doing this. You go out, you go out just like on one little sojourn to the grocery store and you come back, you think you have a sore throat, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I've been nursing a cold for two and a half weeks now and I've tested myself a couple of times in that time and they're all coming up negative, but I'm also in, like, yeah. I, I usually don't cause I'm not 70. Right. So my colds usually don't linger forever. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know, but this know. one has, right. Yeah. It's just kind of lingered. It's yeah. Remember I had the cough last time yeah. and that one lingered for a good, I mean, I'm probably still not completely over it. You can still kind of hear it in my voice. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, let's not talk about this. Uh, let's talk about, UCLA, that's, oh, right, that's the school we cover. UCLA football getting back some key, key pieces to the puzzle for next season. Right, so uh, let's recap for everyone. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and now, just this afternoon, just about an hour ago, uh, Zach Charbonnet both announced that they are returning uh, for next season. Uh, So that'll be Dorian Thompson-Robinson's fifth year as at least a halftime starting quarterback for UCLA. Uh, Because if you remember his freshman year, he started, I think, six of those games. Um, And uh, Zach Charbonnet returning for his second year at UCLA, third year in college. Uh, Huge. Absolutely huge to return both of those guys. Um, Has the the quarterback ever started at UCLA besides Dorian Thompson? (laughs) It feels like a lifetime ago. Who can remember? Yeah. Who can remember a time before? Um, yeah, yeah, we've, we've come to the point now. So like for all of the like slings and arrows, uh, that, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson has drawn in his, uh, in his many, many years at UCLA. Now he's got a chance to set some pretty crazy UCLA records. He Uh, actually does. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of nuts what he's going to be able to do if he's, you know, if he stays healthy this entire season, um, what those numbers are going to look like at the end of the day. And yeah, some of it is just simply quantity has a quality all its own, but, um, for a guy to just start that many games at UCLA is impressive. Um, yeah, he deserves it. I yeah. mean, I, I wouldn't even put an asterisk by it because he has five seasons. It's still a matter of how productive he is compared, you know, how often he throws the ball out, his completion. He complete, And to hang in there and do this, he completely deserves it. Well, how, talking about how many guys start four, uh, start five years, how many guys at UCLA have even started four? So Three. Yeah, I mean he's uh he's definitely um put together a, a heck of a career at UCLA and and hopefully so with with his return um that obviously uh it it adds a lot of oomph to that offense for next year and then with Zach Charbonnet returning um basically you know that they're going to be I think productive. The question is just if they can rise to a top 10 level again and I think 
that's where the third kind of thing that happened this week, which is Sean Ryan um, opting out and heading to the NFL, that's probably the one where you're, if you're looking at the situation for UCLA next year, that's the one where you're like, okay, they really need to figure out offensive tackle. Like that needs to be figured out in the transfer portal. Um, so I think if you're, if you're eyeing the offensive thing that absolutely 100% needs to happen, they need to get at least one impact tackle in the uh, in the transfer portal. And and uh, I would, of course, there are a lot of needs. And if you have a wish list, you'd say, well, they could use that and that and that. But I'm just going to say minimally, I'll I'll feel pretty good if they get an impact starter level offensive tackle. I think. Everything else is looking pretty good to me, um, and 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 doable. Maybe maybe another cornerback, but I think it's playable right now. Uh, they, I don't think the offensive the offensive line would be at a real deficit the way it is. I, I mean, if you just had these guys, this is what you had to go into the season. Probably John Gaines is at left tackle, and uh, Garrett DiGiorgio De, De is at right tackle, and that's just not. No, because Gaines isn't it. I don't think he's a tackle at all. He's not a tackle. So um, yeah. No, you're running into like kind of Jeff Baca situation there, which is no, no bueno because you're taking a good good interior lineman and making him average or worse um, on the outside, and I, I don't think that's that's not an acceptable solution. Um, I think they need to find somebody unless unless they feel like awesome about one of the tackles they're developing, like Thomas Cole is really blowing him away in workouts or something, and they're feeling really good about him. But from what, like. I, we've heard decent enough things, but I don't think we've heard that. So they need to get somebody. Um, and uh, that's that's probably, if you're looking at everything, I mean, sure, there's probably some defensive stuff where, like, I don't think they could, I don't think they could have enough options as a potential pass rusher. Like, I don't think, I think you could, you could just sign four, like, dudes in the transfer portal, and I'd be like, okay, maybe that's enough, but fine. Um, but offensively, it's definitely offensive tackle. Um, and then uh, one of the other big additions this week uh, that we have to talk about is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just gonna try my best. All right, are you ready for this? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm Titus Mokiao Atamalala. <laughs> Nailed it first time. Is there a mic? Do you have a mic? I'm just screaming at my computer. Oh, I, oh then drop your whole computer. Wow. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to here. Ready? Ready? Here we go. There we go. Wow, that, uh, that was such a that was such a whimper. Yeah, well, what are yeah. you gonna do? I'm not gonna drop a two thousand dollar computer that hard. Excellent, that was great <laughs> enunciation technique. Yeah, um, I, I did my best. So that's a huge pickup. Um, from uh, 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 it's a good pickup. It's a uh, fine pickup. It's a guy who's uh, gonna come in and play some. Who cares? Uh, yeah, maybe. Wow, I, hater. I, I, I'm not a hate. hater. I just can't just pile on when I don't believe. I, actually, I saw him. Uh, as a high school prospect, and I thought he was personally. I thought he was a much better safety prospect. I'd like to see him at safety, but obviously he was recruited as a as a wide receiver. I don't necessarily think he's a big time impact guy that comes in. Maybe I mean he'll be a sophomore. Maybe you know in a, a year or something. I, I don't think he Jake Bobo is going to start the transfer from Duke. Cam Brown will start. He was coming on toward the end of the year, and then you've got who replaces. Uh, Kyle Phillips Logan in the Loya. slot, and that's Logan Loya and Josiah Norwood, who I think flashed a few times this totally. season. Then you've got Matt Sykes. You've got 
a Casimir Allen that you're, uh, I don't see a, like a, a, a lane for TMA. Yeah. Look at <laughs> Just you. Just a walkthrough. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'd like. I'd like to see him on the other side of the ball, actually. Um, uh, so Tracy's big on haters gonna hate. Um, <laughs> he, he, I think it's, I think it's a matter of you just don't want to sit here trying to pronounce it, and that's fine. That's fine. Um, uh, so that's uh, that's an addition, apparently not an impact one. Um, but the offense, I think, with basically just with Dorian Thompson Robinson and uh, Zach Charbonnet back, because um, those were, you know, obviously, I think. At the very end of last season, I don't think many people were expecting either of those guys back. And then, yes, info started to kind of come in over December that both of them were toying much more strongly with returning. Um, but if you'd told me in mid-November that both of those dudes are coming back next year, I mean, I'd have been blown away. Yeah. So that's that's great news. Um, and eleven uh, of twelve in predictions. Look Dave. at you, big pretty guy. good, man. Yeah. And and honestly, if I would have just been conservative and gone for Sean Ryan going pro, which was the conservative, and I didn't have that much information on him, so it's I just he doesn't kinda, talk. You yeah. have to just guess at that one. Kind of went out on the limb on that, but I could have gone really conservative and, and very readily been twelve out of twelve. Yeah, and it, when I read the evaluate, I read an evaluation of Sean Ryan from like somebody who's like official official. Uh, what they're saying about him is like, oh, he's a freak. Like an absolute freak, he's going to be, you know, a first rounder. So when you're getting that kind of um, feedback, that freak feedback, yeah, you got to go. Um, the other kind of news that I wanted to touch on football wise. Well, well, wait, let's still, let's still, let's. You want to just marinate a, a little bit more? No, in the I want to talk a little bit about offensive line recruiting transfer. Um, you know, UCLA's. I think I wrote this somewhere. I don't even know what story it's in anymore. Um, UCLA's approach to the transfer portal has always been kind of, it's very Chip Kelly-esque. Uh, you know, we don't have to be hasty. There'll be guys there. We don't have to get anyone right now. There'll be plenty of guys, which has been the case the last few years. But just because it's been the case doesn't mean it will always be that way. That had to be said. But they're taking the slow roll approach. Uh, they're going to hire an offensive line coach and then start looking at the portal a bit. Um, very interesting yesterday when uh, Tommy Brown, the story on Tommy Brown that Greg Biggins wrote, and then there was a couple follow-ups with quotes from Tommy Brown's father saying they had spoken to Chip Kelly. Well, Tommy Brown had spoken to Chip Kelly and the offensive line coach. Um, mm. I, I think you... I think we all could maybe start trying to get our mind around that maybe Tim Drebno is going to be hired as UCLA's offensive line coach. Uh, I Hang know. On, I, I thought I heard a lead balloon. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't think of anything that would blow up the forum more than that story that they've hired Tim Drebno. Uh, so I'm just kind of getting everyone ready for it because I think it could happen. Uh, a few other indications uh, that it could happen. So, I mean, I'm not going to defend the the choice. I'm with you, Dave. I think they should really go out and get a, a very dynamic, young offensive line coach who's a good recruiter. Um, I, I Chip Kelly almost certainly thinks he want, wanted to get an experienced veteran line coach that knows the system. And uh, he has been there since August, and he is an experienced coach. But 
very the recruiting wise, you know, it's thought that he just hasn't in his latter years of being in college, he just hasn't been that aggressive of a recruiter. But there you go. Go ahead, go ahead, Dave. Uh, that's all. Uh, I, 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 again, I just heard a lead balloon fall to the ground. And you want to say something? You absolutely want to say something? Uh, it's a. I mean, if if that ends up being it, it's a it's a pretty lazy hire. Um, I think with with the way UCLA has it set up, um, because Trip Kelly calls the offense and is effectively the offensive coordinator. Whenever you have an offensive opening, you have an opportunity to hire a guy as your, quote, offensive coordinator and pay him a good amount of money to be a position coach. Um, and in that scenario, I would like to see, you know, go out and get the very best offensive line coach you can find. And if he's if you need to pry him from somewhere, give him an OC title and whatever the commensurate salary that comes with that is. Um, so you know, I pronounce commensurate just like you. That's great. That's the first time <laughs> in a in a kind of a you know multi-syllabic word that we agree on pronunciation. I just want to point that out. Yeah, Sorry. it was great. Keep I going. loved it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess that's my point is um, you have an opportunity because of the way Chip does offense to actually go out and get somebody who's good rather than just uh, leave behind from. Uh, I mean, how many Pac-12 schools has he coached for now? One. Oh, so it's only been Stanford and USC, um, but he had two stints at USC. Uh, he just seems, you know, I, I don't think he's, I don't know. I don't think he's a bad coach, but I don't think he's a hell of a recruiter. And um, it's going to be, uh, you know, kind of more of the same with what the staff has already been. So I'm I'm interested to see if that happens. Um, not going to be super sold on it, but I think he's, I don't know, an effective enough offensive line coach, I guess. I just don't think you're getting much as a recruiter there. Um, so, whatever. Um, the other piece, football-wise, if you're ready to move off of offensive line, are you ready? Sure, I'm ready. Do it. Uh, Tia Savea threw his name into the transfer portal, and then um, after flirting a little bit with USC opted to uh, return to the loving embrace of Johnny Nansen and uh, went to Tucson. Yeah, that was really kind of curious now, wasn't it? It was. Uh, it looked like, I mean, it, Biggins is usually, you know, really good at his, as it, I was just going to say his balls, but I guess I better say his crystal balls. He put one in, for, you know, he's like at a, what, a 98% success rate? Yeah, yeah. And he put one in for USC. Yeah. That, that I, I wonder how much of that was just kind of like instantaneous decision at the very end, like Nansen gave him the hard sell, because usually when Biggins is putting something in, it's because... He verbally committed. <laughs> yes, <to that> because <laughs> something's been said. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, I, it's a bit of a side note, but what Arizona is doing in recruiting, uh, both the transfer portal and high school recruiting this cycle, is utterly and completely insane. Yeah. And I just want that out there. If you haven't been looking at it, it's nuts. Um, Arizona should never, ever, ever in a million years be able to recruit at a top 20 level. And that's exactly what they're doing off of a one and eleven season. Yes, it's insane. Um, I personally think there's got to be some NIL deals out there in Tucson happening. <laughs> sure, 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 yeah. sure. But there's NIL deals happening everywhere, and there's money being exchanged everywhere. Uh, I don't think you can. Uh, this is this is so when we talk about like 
staffs that recruit with effort and like tenacity and focus and strategy and the whole thing this is what that looks like when it's like all parts working towards the same goal in recruiting um you can make tucson a de destination off of a 1 and 11 season so i i guess it's just from a context thing when when ucla is struggling to get into like the top 35 and it's in los angeles and i mean how many people out there have been to tucson have you been to tucson listener it's not great it's not great I, it's, it's a place there. it's a place where um you've got like urban tumbleweeds um just going through the city and that's kind of my favorite part of it i think that's the, the cool. urban tumbleweeds i'm talking about are trash bags um just kind of <laughs> going around on the street it's a dump it's an absolute pit um most of these guys have visited like they're they're getting people to commit who have actually been there it's not like they're telling them it's like this luxurious vacation destination they're they're showing them tucson and they're still committing um so i guess my point is uh that's a staff that actually recruits um and we'll see if they can coach but they, they can actually recruit yeah yeah um they coached pretty well last year they had no talent but i like the scheme they played a lot of close year. games I, I i think people i i mean i I've, I've done this before and people get annoyed with me on the board as like a jed fish head uh i'm I, i'm not i don't i didn't even think he was that great at ucla but i they were not they were not horrible last year for an, for a 1 and 11 team. I mean, they weren't good, but they weren't horrible for 1 and 11. They played a lot of close games. Uh they're going to be flirting with a bowl next year. That'd be my guess. I would say I would say that they they will also it'll be really interesting to see how they put all the talent together because they're they lost a ton of guys to the transfer portal. They're getting a few and then they got all those young guys. So they got Jaden Delora. Yeah. I, I, next year will be interesting to watch. It'll be very fun to watch. And then, um, but then I think in a couple of years, you know, I think, I think our guy, well, we shouldn't call him our guy because everyone thinks we favor Jed, um, the fish and we're fish heads. I don't think I've ever really said that much. I think you've kind of, um, I'm, a, I'm like, I'm, I'm like a medium fish head. Like I don't like go on tour. Um, but like, <laughs> I, I listen to some of the music and I like it. Right. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that's where I stand on Jetfish. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, UCLA, um, has lost a little bit in the portal, but, uh, you had that nice story kind of doing the plus minuses, which I thought was pretty good. Um, Thank you. but overall, I think with Dorian back with Zach Charbonnet back. Uh, you don't have to worry too much about the offense as long as they get an offensive tackle. And then defensively, what has already happened, I think, has improved the defense um, with uh, linebacker and the outside linebacker. Um, so it's now just a question of, you know, how much how much more can they get? Can they get, you know, can they find a defensive tackle? Can they find, you know, a couple other pieces? Um, but that defense is going to look different because... Jerry has an arrow. Also gone. I called you up to tell you that. And let's just, let's peek behind the curtain. You were kind of elated, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, where I've been on this, because we had questions about this on the message board. Why did it take so long for me to write a story uh, about Jerry as an arrow? And I, I think it should be obvious is that I was setting my sights higher and, you know, I was, I was shooting for the moon 
and even if I missed, I landed among the stars. The stars in this scenario That's is so firing, is firing Jerry as an arrow. Shooting okay. for the moon was uh, wiping this whole thing out and starting fresh. So, uh, yeah, it took me a while because I was waiting to see, well, why, why should I... Why should I write an article talking about how bad Jerry Azanero is when Chip Kelly might still get fired, right? Because that's, I mean, look, I, I'll put all cards on the table. I don't usually think it's just a coordinator's fault that a certain side of the ball sucks. Like, somebody hired that guy. Somebody thinks he's doing a good job. Somebody's maintained him for four years. Um, that man, by the way, is Chip Kelly. Um, so after that, it became obvious, well, okay, that's not going to happen. They they 100% can't move forward with the defensive coordinator who's this bad. And um, they didn't. Uh, you know, Jerry Azanero has, uh, uh, per your report, resigned. Um, which, okay, great. Resigned, fired, whatever you want to call it. Um, and now it becomes a question of who uh, they will end up hiring as a defensive coordinator. You published your hot board today. Um, Clancy Pendergast was the, the, I won't say the hot name in December when there was speculation that Azanero might be out, uh, but he was the one who was speculated as potentially being the successor. It doesn't sound like that is, uh, And then we offing. broke the news that he wasn't going to be right. a exactly. candidate. We should just, I mean, should we toot some horns? I mean, damn, you're a we've big, been... You're a big, you're a big horn tooter. Well, I mean, you know why only? It's because occasionally there'll be like some thread on the forum that says, what have you broke for us lately? It's just go, you got to be kidding me. Or you guys don't get as much information as, I mean, we're on a tear right here. So I just wanted to say well, that. Well, you know what I'll I feel about that. those people? I'll just say that. You know what I'll I just... feel about those people, Tracy? Is that they feel that way and they're still paying you money. Like, think <laughs> think about it. Because, like, you can be like, no, 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 let them feel dissatisfied then. Because then it's, like, even better. Because you're actually... When you then tell them, oh, no, I've actually broken X, Y, and Z, you're making them feel then justified in spending their money. No, no, no. Let them feel a little bit bad about it. Okay. I'll let them feel bad. Yeah. There you go. Because you know. You know what you break. I do. Um, I do. But, you know, I just, I don't care that they're saying it. I just care that it's out there getting in people's minds and it's just untrue. So, yeah. 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 In greats. Um so, yeah, so Jerry has an arrow out. Um, you posted a great hot board. If you haven't checked it out already, check it out. Um, that took a lot of work. It took a ton of work. Those um, hot boards are not easy. That was that was days in the making. Oh, and, and Tracy, least. while we've been talking, has published a story. I I did that pretty slyly, didn't I? Did you hear yes, me? Yes, I heard Everyone heard, heard the typing, though, yeah. Yes, uh, UCLA and Chip Kelly have agreed to a new contract. Just uh, like we said would happen a couple of days ago. Yeah, you missed a D in that first line there, Trace. I did. Okay. Yeah, well, just... you know, I'm on this thing with you at the same time. No, I respect it. I respect it. I respect the work. I respect the game. Um, so, yeah, that was also... The D the, is in. Yeah, that was the last uh, little bit of news. Um, so, Chip Kelly and, and UCLA have obviously been negotiating their extension uh, for... Gosh, probably the better part of two months in a real way. Um, and it's been, uh, seems like it's been a chore uh, for both parties to come to an agreement. Um, I'm, um, I'm going to tell you, I'm of the belief that if it uh, is such a chore to get an extension done, guess what, Tracy? <laughs> Don't do the extension. 
That's where I stand on that. Well, you, it's a four-year deal. We haven't heard the details about... If, by the time we probably put up this podcast, we will hear the details. But um, it's going to be uh, it, a reworked buyout. Um, I think I think the buyout is two years... Okay, I, I'm not sure. I have to say this, but the buyout's going to be less than it was. I, I was told it was probably a two-year buyout uh, with a lot smaller price tag than than before um, and uh and and moving the date would also be beneficial <laughs> yeah that was really a clumsy date wasn't it it was more geared for the nfl right it's either geared towards the nfl or it had a lot of um hopeful expectations about the college football playoff built into it yeah one or the other uh but uh ridiculous but it's not quite um well wasn't there one football coach who had like an april 1st buyout date I, oh, I, 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 I feel like it I all runs that. together. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, it's it's an extension. Um, it doesn't like honestly, if 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 it had been something where he immediately signed at the beginning of December, you would worry that UCLA got absolutely fleeced. I don't think UCLA will have gotten fleeced here um, because it seems like he was not super eager to sign this sucker. Um, but again, I think if you're in the position where like, uh, one where the head coach is like super reluctant to sign, it's probably better to just, um, call it a day, especially when you can wait two more days and just a lot of people are thinking that now, I think probably there's so much going on behind the scenes that contributed to this. Um, and we can shed a little bit of light and I've, I've reported a lot of this. Um, they had a deal on the table. Chip Kelly, uh, from what I've gathered, wasn't happy with it. A, a lot of a lot of different details. Um, I, I think he wasn't happy with how much UCLA was willing to increase his salary. Uh, in lieu of that, he wanted a bigger assistant salary pool. <coughs> from what I know, uh, athletic director Martin Jarman wanted a little bit more accountability. I think Jarman's Jarman's approach to this. He's very hands on. He doesn't want to micromanage, but I think he feels more like he's part of a team. They're in partnership with the coach. I think that's been his experience. And kind of the autonomy that Chip Kelly was given, and I mean, I'll say no fault of Chip Kelly because that's what he was told he would get from Chancellor Gene Block. And then to have that UCLA kind of go back on that, I understand Chip Kelly says that this was my deal, but then I also understand Martin Jarman saying, well, okay, but it's not anymore. And the conventional way things happen is that a coach wants to hire an assistant coach and it needs to get approved. Um, before, uh, there wasn't much approval going on, but now Martin Jarman wants, you know, the, the very conventional, traditional way of being a team in a partnership and approving it. Um, I think UCLA and Jarman were not going to accept just increasing the salary pool to for Chip Kelly to use at his discretion. Um, I don't think it was going to fly that he would just uh, increase a couple of coaches' salaries that were already on staff. That wasn't going to happen. Um, and I had heard that uh, a stipulation was that Jerry Azanero uh, resigned. Um, so as soon as Azanero did resign, 
that was kind of a sign that Chip Kelly was coming around. Little bit of speculation, like I wrote before, uh, Black Monday came. I think Kelly and Sexton were waiting to see if there'd be some interest. This is speculation. I haven't heard this, but I would say from what we saw, there weren't a lot of stories out there connecting Chip Kelly to any other jobs. Um, all of these things probably contributed to him coming around to the negotiation table. Uh, from Jarman's standpoint, speculation again, but I'd have to think he went through back channels to check on the viability of getting uh, another coach, how much it would cost him, how easy it would be to get a coach he would want. And I, I would probably think ultimately he decided that was a little bit too risky or maybe a little bit too expensive for what he could afford right at this moment. And that brought him also to the table. Um, that's speculation again, but it kind of makes sense. And it jibes with a few things that I've heard. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll look, uh, whatever. Um, I, I think everyone had pretty much uh, geared up for the idea that Chip Kelly was coming back. Um, we'll see what it looks like next year. I think it's going to be a fun team. Uh, they're going to have a really good offense again, um, with or without an offensive tackle. I mean, they're just with, uh, with a returning fifth year starter at quarterback and Zach Charbonnet back and the interior of the line back. I mean, it's going to be a pretty good offense. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I will walk away thinking it was maybe a missed opportunity to do for the first time in forever, a penalty free, um, head coach switch um, because they could have just let the buyout come uh, to zero and then call it a day with Chip. And then, yeah, you might not go out. I mean, I don't know what their money situation is, but you might not go out and be able to get Dave Aranda out of Baylor, maybe. Uh, but I think there's a lot of guys you can roll the dice on at this point who um, will give you a lot more hope uh, for the future than Chip Kelly does right now. Um, I'm just trying to be balanced here. Um what if, Dave, he goes out and finds and hires a, a good defensive coordinator and but let's we've, say... we've done that before. Well, let's not be even hypothetical. And that defensive coordinator brings a good scheme, good play calling, and brings with some talent. And that defense, with the offense that you would project they would have next year, and let's say they have a top 45 defense, with that schedule, what could happen? With that schedule, and they get a top 45 defense, and the offense continues at like a top 10 level? Yeah. Uh, Christ, I mean, they're going to go 10 and 2 at least. And compete for Pac-12? Yeah, no, I think next year, um, because of Dorian coming back and Zach Charbonnet coming back, um, if they can actually improve the defense, but the thing is, improving the defense isn't a foregone conclusion. They are losing a lot of dudes, like a lot, a lot of dudes. Um, so even filling in a few holes where there's a real hole, I don't know. It's a foregone conclusion that they're going to be better than last year. They might be the same, um, which is top 80, but yeah, you get a really good defensive coordinator in there who can, you know, make some magic happen. Defensive, out of, right? You yeah. Said? Defensive coordinator who okay. can make some magic happen out of, you know, not a whole lot. Um, yeah. I mean, they could be really good. Honestly, they could go nine and three, 10 and two with the defense being marginally better, like yeah. top 60. Um, so I, I, the schedule is really weak. There is the opportunity there to be very good, um, or at least to have a very gaudy record. Um, it's more just, I'm talking about like long-term or medium-term even. 
uh, which is, well, what about the next year after that? Like, well, let's it, think about that. Uh, Chip Kelly gets 10 wins. What happens next year? I mean, does he want to go back to the NFL? Does he think about going back to the NFL? I, I, it's going to be, it'd be very interesting to see what he does with a really successful season. Um, and I'm of the, I got to tell you, I, I think what, I, what the program is missing I mean, there are a lot of things. We can break it all down. But the main thing the program has been missing under Chip Kelly is a really elite level of talent. Can we, can we start? I, I think here's the problem. Can we start calling it program? Program? Yeah, like the Southern sure. guys? Sure. Because I think if we start Why? calling it the program, then they'll oh. start recruiting like SEC teams. Okay. So the program, <laughs> so I got to think that yeah, every no, time think I say about it. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I am of, and this is not optimism. This is based on, I've witnessed this. We've seen an uptick in UCLA's recruiting based on three and four and eight and four. They get 10 wins, compete for a Pac-12 championship. The, rec the recruiting will continue to improve. It's what Chip Kelly doesn't do well. But comb combining a 10 and two record, transfer portal, they will start to get an improved level of talent coming into the program. Um, once you get enough talent, I think there's enough legs. If Chip Kelly stayed at UCLA, I think there's enough to sustain a pretty successful program for a while. Program. Um, program. <laughs> I'm going to over-pronounce. Yeah, there you go. Um, don't you agree with that? Uh, you you just think there are, there are inherently things wrong with the way Chip Kelly runs a program? I think I think yeah I think it's a bad program. Um, program. I I think um, I think they're okay at developing guys. Um, they're not as good as they need to be with their high school recruiting strategy. Um, I think their transfer portal acquisition uh, strategy is good, not as good as it needs to be to make up for how bad they are with high school recruiting. Um, it's uh, they, they, if they're going to do their transfer portal style, then they really need to target guys who are like, um, first or second year college players. Not so much the like guys who are coming in for just a single season, yeah. um, because they need to basically approach it with their like kind of, cause I think they are like decent enough at developing players, but they need multi-season eligibility because the offense is a little bit complex. Um, and, uh, you need to make up for your high school because the benefit of a high school player is you have five years to develop them, right? You've got their red shirt season and then you've got four years. When you do the transfer portal, you have to count on them impacting immediately, but you want to get as many years out of that as possible because with high school, if you, if you nail an evaluation and you get a guy, he might play for you and start for you and be a meaningful contributor for three or four years. You have no guarantee if you're, if you're going transfer portal, um, and you're going for like guys who only have two years of eligibility left or one year of eligibility left, they might be a starter, but you're only getting a single year out of them. And that might be enough to push some of your high school guys out. Uh, it might be enough to prevent some guys from committing who otherwise would have. Like there's some real drawbacks to doing that for only a year or only two years. Um, so I don't, it's my, my complaint with what he's doing is not that it can't be an effective strategy. It's that it's not optimal for UCLA. 
at UCLA, and this is the same thing going back to 2017, you can recruit at a top 15 level. You can, And I'm talking about high school recruiting. And the thing is, yeah, if you can get a – somebody posted this on the board, and it's a really interesting piece, which is if you can get a um, high school guy or a transfer portal guy with the same number of years of eligibility or similar number of years of eligibility left – you want to go transfer portal because they can't transfer again with no penalty, whereas the high school guy is going to transfer. But that's not really the calculation because most of the time when they're going transfer portal, it's limited years of eligibility left. Um, and in that scenario, you would want to go high school because you've got as no, the, the significant number of years left and you don't have the turnover, the constant turnover. Okay, um, let's let's talk. Just let's talk. Uh, what you're saying is you haven't seen the evidence that they can recruit at a high level among high school recruits. And I see that they already improved this year. The, the average recruit rating is higher in the 2022 class. They didn't get as, they didn't get as many, but the per recruit rating is higher. One, two, I've been in the time I've been doing this. I would say there haven't been a lot of great recruiting staffs at UCLA. In 23 years, I, I could probably say three or four. The rest have overall been weighted towards mediocre to bad recruiters on the staff. There have been many times that UCLA has recruited really well, and it's mostly because it's, it's based on on-field success. Bad recruiting staff, on-field success. They, in the Maybe it's a completely different era, but there were they got number one and number two recruiting classes back 20 years ago, and they had a horrible recruiting staff. Um, Jim Moore recruited well. He had he had a pretty decent. I mean, we're kind of inflating that. His original staff was just good. I wouldn't say great. And, yeah, but dude, dude, dude. But but Rick they won. Neuheisel they had won, two 15, and they top 15 classes. Better. Rick that? Neuheisel had two top 15 classes. Two of them. Rick Neuheisel. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You can recruit it. He had some recruiters. You can recruit at a decent... You should be able to recruit at a good level. He regardless. had three. There were three. These three first it, classes were all top 15. Sure, Rick when you Neuheisel. win at UCLA, you can do that with a bad staff. He Rick wasn't New winning. Right. He but won Rick nothing. Neuheisel, you're right, you're right. But Rick Neuheisel, had a, Rick Neuheisel himself was a good recruiter. It's a very dynamic recruit. Well, I guess my, yeah. my, my point is they're not good at recruiting. Um, and I, I still don't think they are. But you're, th you're doing apples and oranges. I'm saying there are instances in this history of UCLA football when they didn't have a good recruiting staff. Like I would say, let's just say now. <laughs> but they won on the field and they recruited at a high level. I guess that's, my, that's I guess, the scenario. So there have been bad recruiting staffs at UCLA. There totally have. Um, this staff seems like it has, uh, and this is going back to the beginning with Chip Kelly, and I think it has changed a little bit, uh, an active antipathy for recruiting and the process itself and the idea that this even needs to happen. Like, that's what I feel from, like, a lot of the stuff I've heard from Chip Kelly, seen from their strategy. Um, it just doesn't seem like they even prioritize, like, some of the basics of it, which is... Um, it re remains baffling. And yeah, I mean, you want to talk about like average ranking of recruiting. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's an improvement. It's not like, again, what UCLA is capable of in high school recruiting. I mean, they can do better than this. It's going to be different going forward, though, because when you can't just top, 
talk rankings anymore because honestly, I mean, UCLA under Chip Kelly and maybe under any other coach is going to, is going to weight the transfer portal more going forward. So if UCLA, let's say, brings in 15 to 17 recruits a year, it will never, very rarely, will that get you in the top 25. You need, you need 22 recruits to get in. The, there are very few schools that will ultimately get in the top 20 with 15 to 17 recruits. It's just not going to happen. You've got to start looking at recruiting the ratings per recruit. Um, that went up this year. To no real credit of the staff, um, I think just merely because they played they played better on the field, and that will continue to happen. Um, damn, I, I I witnessed sometimes really poor UCLA recruiting staffs, and they were winning, and they had guys just calling them up, guys they never recruited, guys from Texas, guys from the Midwest, saying, "Hey, I'm really interested." They, they literally did not have to recruit them. Um, it, 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 it's a whole, maybe it's a different era now, but we, we are so beaten down and we've got so much BBS. We don't remember those times of how easy, easily UCLA recruited itself, especially when it was winning. Um, and I'm not saying it will absolutely happen. I'm just saying it's a distinct possibility if Chip Kelly gets 10 wins, high school recruiting will change in the next cycle. It will it will upgrade even more. Maybe, um, but again, I, I, the reason I brought up the Arizona example earlier um, was to be a little bit instructive. Uh, you can sell a one and eleven season in goddamn Tucson. There's no reason you can't sell UCLA, no matter how many stupid. We're talking you've different things. Absolutely, should UCLA staff be recruiting so much better and have so much more to sell at UCLA? One hundred percent, we all agree. But that doesn't take away from the notion that UCLA can recruit well if it wins and it doesn't totally, have yeah, they, a great recruiting staff. Right, right. They can absolutely luck into it. I'm just yeah. saying it would be cool if the guy you're paying six it would million be dollars so a year is cool. working hard at it. We're talking like top five recruiting class then. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And then like actually being good, like consistently. Yeah. But that's my point is I'm not convinced any of that is going to happen. Um, yes, they can win. 10 games and it's going to result in maybe, you know, fringe top 20 instead of fringe top 30. Sure. But end of the day, is that enough to sustain this program? Is that enough to sustain it at the proper level? This is what I think. This is where I think it comes down to. We've seen the recruiting, the transfer portal supply them a good amount of talent in even before the one year waiver was lifted. Um, They've recruited well and plugged in good talent that have really helped, especially in the last two years, especially this last year. Is that sustainable? Will they, like I said, they're going to just, they're going to sit back and go, huh, you know what? We'll be able to find some offensive tackles in March. Will that, is that going to happen? I I don't know. And just because it has happened, does that mean it will happen? Is it's a risk? Is it is it is it a pretty easy risk to take? I mean, will we don't know? You and I don't know. We can guess. Will this happen every year of where they sufficiently plug in the holes? Like right now, they need at least one offensive tackle. Will they get a guy who can come in like a Paul Gratton level guy? Yeah. 
who will come in and start for them at tackle. And and here's the thing: if they do get it, <laughs> it's in in watching professionally. My profession has been watching coaches recruit. I I can safely say that when you have success at something, it it makes you. Um, I'm not going to use the word lazy because that's got a buzz to it among our bros. It makes you not as active in recruiting. Complacent. That's a good word. Complacent. Um, so the the it's a almost it's a self fulfilling uh, circle thing that you always say. Um, a circle. They, yeah. There it is. If they uh, for some reason I don't know I can say crude things that thing just gets me I don't know why that's the the image is just <laughs> well bad. it's because it's funny. It's no, a really funny image. It's 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 just, okay. Well, because I don't think it's a real thing. It's like one of those things that like I think people just think is a funny image. I guess. Like, do people actually do circle jerks? I don't know. I, I just seem coming out of your mouth. It just uh, anyway. Um, but it's so evocative. <laughs> like it's so perfectly like, evocative what... is is lit a literal word for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't like it, but then I only further support the image. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 You extract more. What was I saying? Oh, God. From um, it. What was I saying? Uh, it's hard to know at this point. <laughs> um, it will make them uh, complacent. Yeah. In their recruiting. I've seen it. I've seen it all the time. I've got a great story. A really quick story. There was an ex-UCLA coach. Um, uh, that, you know, I, I used to be able to talk to and, and tell him about recruits. And there was this one kid who, uh, was a very, I liked him as a prospect. Uh, the coach at the time would, wanted to go after only like top 25 recruits. This kid was probably top 35, top 40 local kid, uh, didn't have like a grown ass man's body, you know, Kind of when you're when you're a scout, the kind of body you're looking for in basketball, he's going to grow into it and get better. Uh, loved UCLA, wanted to go there. Uh, this coach wouldn't offer him. Didn't recruit him. Didn't go out to see him. And um, <laughs> missed. Then over the course of months, uh, through summer, summer evaluation period, missed on all the guys, the top twenty guys they were going after. Uh, they finally pivoted to this guy, offered him and he committed. And I can still remember this. I'm in a TGI Fridays with this coach. And I said, you see, I mean, there's, there's a flaw here in this kind of approach. I mean, this was a kid who loved UCLA. You really, uh, you know, it would have been better if you were on him earlier if you showed him a lot of love, I mean, this could have been done way before it would have saved you so much time of going after those pie in the sky guys that weren't going to happen. I mean, and then not recruiting him at all. And then at the end, and the coach turned to me and said, yeah, but we got him, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Gotta love it. Yeah, gotta love it. But we got him. Didn't we? I mean, yeah. so the the ends completely justify the results justify the way you got there, and that's the way coaches think. 
Yeah. 100%. So if they're successful from no work of their own, it's only going to make them work less. Yeah. Great. <clears throat> awesome. Great situation. Love to be in it. Um, yep. Let's talk a little bit of basketball. We don't talk about my nut too much, but let's talk a little bit. Um, UCLA last night uh, lost to Oregon. Kind of a weird and crappy game. Um, I, I was kind of flummoxed just in real time because UCLA, I thought, played a pretty good first half. I mean, they were sloppy offensively. They weren't passing the ball great, um, and I think that's what Mick Cronin maybe got angry about at halftime. Uh, but defensively, they seem to be pretty locked in, uh, held uh, Oregon to, I mean, outside of some really junky free throws and some, you know, scores that came off of bad turnovers, um, held them to 30 total points in the first half, and then came out in the second half looking like they had forgotten completely how to play defense. Those first five minutes, I think they got outscored 18 to 2, something like that. Like, literally the first possession, both uh, Cody Riley and Johnny Juzang get hung up under the basket, and no one goes out to contest a guy at, like, and it was like, 10 well, seconds wait, let's run it back to the last possession of the first. Half. Oh, my God. I, I, I can't even. I, I'll have to, like, zip what was he? I one. mean, maybe he heard the buzzer and he thought, but I don't think he did. And he just stood there. He just literally stood there and let the ball go right by him. The guy, guy, and lady, yeah. And it, it was, uh, honestly, it was just such inattention. And like, I don't know what happened in that locker room. I'm guessing uh, uh, Cronin was peeling paint off the walls. Um, yeah. Because they came back out with, like, only 90 seconds to go until tip-off, and it looked like they were completely unready to play uh, yeah. in the second half. Like, the way they yeah. came out, I was like, they're they're going to get blown out here. Um, <laughs> and luckily, they got it together enough to, like, force overtime. But um, that was the first, like, five to ten minutes of the second half was some of the worst basketball I've seen from a Cronin coach team. Yeah, um, I agree. That was yep. insane. Um, so... Uh, you hope that's a one-off because I think there's a few things going on here. I mean, Jaime does not look right. Um, he's not explosive. Like he's not getting off the floor very well. And so you could guess that's probably a combination of the COVID stuff, but also that ankle injury from last Thursday. Like he just doesn't look good. Um, like when he's jumping to throw the ball, like whatever he's doing, jumping to pass it, uh, it's, he's not getting high enough and he's not even like, it's like his, he doesn't have the like even understanding that his body isn't getting high enough, everything he's doing is getting tipped. Um, and it, it just doesn't look like the same player. He doesn't have a whole lot of lift right now. Uh, Jules Bernard was, uh, that was, that was freshman year Jules. Um, and, uh, you know, when those two guys are both playing like that and Johnny, uh, Juzang, and Johnny Juzang played, about that? well, Ju- Juzang played absolutely horrific defense, but he at least contributed. Um, like he, he at least rebounded. Basically, anything to get the ball in his hands, he was cool with doing. Um, he just wasn't cool with playing very good defense. He was playing defense essentially like a freshman who doesn't understand. Like, so many, like, it was a lot of the, like, look like you're doing something, but don't actually do it effectively. A lot of Alford-level defense. It was a lot of closeouts where you run past the guy or uh, really bite on a jab step and you look like you're doing something, but you give up, uh, it, you know, it's suddenly an open shot where it was contested. Um, just a lot of just really undisciplined defense. Um, but he, because of how bad Jaime and Jules were, he wasn't the worst player. Um, and he scored, you know, I mean, if, if he hadn't been there scoring, uh, you know, they would have lost by 20. Uh, but that was a game that it demanded that Cronin play the bench. And I think it was one of Cronin on top of everything else. I think it was one of his worst coach games too. 
Yeah. Um, because I think it demanded bench play. It demanded the guys who were actually going to play with some effort and some fire. And on that game, it was really Peyton Watson, uh, first and foremost, and then Jalen Clark. Uh, those two guys actually came in and provided a boost. And I think in crunch time down the stretch in the second half, but also in overtime, they should have been playing. Uh, I know Cronin's going to trust his starters and the whole thing, but the starters were not bringing it, um, especially the three-wing trio. Um, so you had to you had to go to the bench a little bit more. So I thought that was a major misstep. And then just the way they were playing screens against um, those athletic and speedy Oregon guards uh, was a miserable failure. Uh, Cody Riley and Miles Johnson were not equipped to switch on to those guys, especially in um, in the second half in overtime. And it didn't seem like UCLA ever adjusted away quickly enough. Um, finally, in the overtime, it seemed that Jules would start to fight through it a little bit more and try to maintain. But the thing was... He was even doing a really poor job of just stopping simple dribble penetration on his own. He wasn't playing the guys who were left-handed left at all. Allowed them open lanes to the basket, I think, three or four times. It wasn't simply a quickness issue. That was one of those classic Cronin getting pissed off that they didn't read the scouting reports. Um, because you have to cut him off left and force right. And it just wasn't doing that enough. Um. Yeah, I saw... Well, this is what I'm going to do. Um, the team's 10 and 2, right? 10 and 2. Uh, not playing overly great, but there's so uh, there, there's so much potential for them to put this together, in my opinion. Cody Riley's just coming back, still out of shape. Um, as you said, Jaime Hawkes, not close to him, to what he is. Um, they still feel like they're, they're out of sync. Definitely, definitely defensively. Um, just a lot of guys falling asleep on help. Falling, I mean, just, man, just <laughs> losing their assignments, uh, losing who they're picking up, closeouts. I mean, how many times lately in the last couple have we seen them on a horrible closeout foul a three-point shooter? That's the thing. Uh, Juzang has done that now, I think, three times in the yeah, last, and, like, two weeks. And to me, that's just not acceptable for him to be. He's a junior. He's an experienced guy. He's supposed to be an NBA prospect. He's got to stop. I mean, once or twice during a season would be excessive. But to do it how much he's doing it, it there's there, it's really weird about Johnny Juzang. It's just sometimes it just seems like his whole game awareness, his brain just kind of turns off at times. And it's getting better, but... But dang. Anyway, I think there's still a lot of upside for the team. Uh, specifically defensively, one thing. Um, and then to find their roles on offense. Uh, the team is, has evolved into a three-point shooting team. And, I, and uh, some of it has been the matchups. You know, when uh, Mike Montgomery. <laughs> when there's a team... <laughs> that's zoning you, you're going to shoot a lot of threes. Um, but there are also times when I think they they should be going more inside, especially since Cody's been back, getting him some more touches inside. Uh, that run they had last year, if you remember, uh, and, and just some improved play in the second half. But a lot of it was Cody Riley, if you remember. I mean, weren't there a couple of overtimes that he won because he was just a beast and unstoppable down low? Um, he's got to be more involved of catching the ball in the post. We, 
We probably saw that only four or five times last night. Um, so I think they got, I mean, I know they're the best three-point shooting team in the Pac-12. I don't know if they still are after last night. Um, but I, I think they need, there's, a, there's still a lot of upside for them to develop where their offense needs to go. My so my thing on uh, offense is I don't I, I I am totally fine with the number of threes or the percentage of threes that they're taking as a percentage of their total shots. It's about a third of their shots they're taking as threes. It could even be a little bit more, and I'd be fine with it. My problem is the tempo. Um, they are horrible, a horrible basketball team in transition. They do not know how to play in transition. They cannot continue to do this. How many times do we have to watch a guy go one-on-one -on -one in transition against a defender who's in front of him when he has a man running beside him? This cannot continue to happen. If they can't learn how to do the basics of transition, you cannot be a transition basketball team. Because how many times does it they miss that shot and then the other team goes right back down the floor and scores because the floor spacing's bad suddenly? Like, you cannot continue to try to run if the team can't effectively run. Uh, so many of their bad shots are in transition or semi-transition because they do not know how to do it. Um, this is a this is a slowdown team that is playing too fast. Um, and so I think part of what you're talking about with getting Cody Riley more touches is play slower. And by play slower, get it into the, the big in the post and then have him kick it out, whatever it is, but play slower. And there can't be possessions where Tiger Campbell is on the floor where he doesn't touch the basketball. That cannot yeah. continue to happen. That yeah. happened a bunch in this game where he was on the floor, standing on the wing, and Jules Bernard was going one on five. That can't happen. Um, yeah. And I think there need to be they, – they need to go back to setting rules um, because I think they had an idea that they could come into this year and be a free-flowing basketball team where any number of guys can take it up the floor and any number of guys can ISO and do that whole thing. And first, I think teams have done a much better job in season of scouting that like, I think the Pac-12 opponents especially. How many times have we watched Jaime get picked this year? Like, just cleanly picked on a on a one-on-one -on -one ISO play. A lot. Yeah. It happened yeah. way more this year than it did last year because I think teams are getting used to his moves. And that's not to say he can't go ISO. It just means that can't be, like, an obvious thing that you're going to do as your main gear on offense in conference play. That might be able to change the NCAA tournament because guys don't have as long to scout you. But... Looking at all of this, I think the main thing that I take away from all of this, from everything they're doing, is when they go transition, when they go up-tempo, they're not good. Um, the best play this season has been from UNLV to Cal, those five games, and what stood out was that their tempo went back to basically last year levels. Uh, this game against Oregon, they got sped up. Um, on top of everything else, they got sped up, and they had some horrible plays in transition and it's not just any one guy i think it's a pervasive issue and i don't think it's like i i i don't know if it's like crone can't teach transition i'm sure he can um but these guys are all doing it jalen clark has made a tremendous number of bad plays in transition where he just dribbles up tries to take a bad shot um and i think they're being told okay get up the floor and try to you know make something happen before the defense gets set but it's not translating at all um, and so I think it's slow it down, uh, play your half court offense. Cause your half court offense is pretty damn good. Um, it, it, they, they had, there was one play yesterday where it was like, um, a double screen for Juzang where he got wide open in the corner for a three beautiful yeah. play. Yeah. You can do that stuff. Um, and take your time on offense. I don't think this is an up tempo team. I, I think there were ideas about that, but I think you're, I, 
you have an identity. The identity worked last year. Stick to it. And and within the half court, um, the ball has to get in Tiger Campbell's hands. It can't just be uh, I'm going to try isolation. You try, then I try. It, it can't. You've you've got. They've got to execute something. They're best when they do that, and then when they get a touch in the post, that's when they're best. And and a subheading of that. Uh, Miles Johnson is completely lost on offense, and I watched a few of his games from Rutgers. Um, he was uh, he was neglected in their offense, but what he did do offensively well, UCLA is not even he is very good on a pick and roll. Um, you remember all the Jalen Hill pick and roll, and then yeah. alley oop dunks. Miles Johnson had like two of those a game at Rutgers. They, they there was one play in Oregon where he had, they did it and it worked. That's what he does, and he's got a good feel for it. And if you don't put the ball in Tiger Campbell's hands, or and generally you're not looking down low and you're not looking for Miles Johnson rolling off of that, that's a mistake. Um, so they've got to get Cody Riley in a groove, and I think Miles Johnson has to get in an offensive groove, and that's getting him on the, getting him going more on that pick and roll. Um, and defense, man, I, the defense, here's the thing with the defense is it was fine until the second half yesterday. Like I would say the last five games, they've been pretty good defensively. So I'm not even taking that. What I'm worried about is what the hell happened at halftime that had them come out looking like, I don't know, like, I don't know, uh, beaten men, you know, like, cause that was the thing is that they did not look at all ready to be on the floor. Um, and it was five horrible minutes of defense um, that basically took them from, it was 35-30, and then it was 46-37. Um, and from that point on, the defense never got back to the level it was in the first half, but it wasn't that again. But those yeah, first five minutes were awful. Something happened at that halftime. Maybe they were, you know, like you said, <laughs> Mick Full, got into them. Fully emasculated. I don't yeah. know. But, but uh, the overall thing, though, that, uh, we've seen this in in uh, Mick Cronin's uh, coaching at UCLA, they get better. Yeah. They, they take these things and they improve, improve upon it. So uh, it's going to be fine. You and I are firm believers that you want a couple of losses during the season, a couple of losses that really make a team dig down and say, you know, and, and get and try to, you know, dig down and get more. And, yeah. Yeah. So this will be one of those, and they will improve. They always do. This is usually the point at which the season starts to look like it's teetering in a in a negative direction, and then it'll look like that for maybe the next month. Um, there will probably be another loss or two in the next uh, three weeks, four weeks, and then uh, they'll suddenly start to look a lot better in mid-February, like they have the last two years, and, um, yeah, be gelling by the time the tournament comes around. We've seen so, this story uh, before. Let's wrap this up, but I just got to say UCLA sent out uh, a release about Chip Kelly signing a new four-year contract. Um, no other details. Not how much he will make annually, not how much and how long in the term of the buyout. So how long does it usually take for a public university? To <laughs> they don't usually release, release it themselves. It's uh, probably you've got uh, Ben Bosch probably already has submitted the FOIA. Yeah. So we'll get it in a couple of months, probably. Yeah. If we don't get it from sources. Yeah. Those sources. sources. Uh, but yeah, the FOIA process usually takes, uh, I think it's like six to eight weeks. 
Does it take that long? It I can. mean, it that's what it used to be. I mean, aren't in the freedom information, don't they do it online now? Maybe, uh, but I know in you the old... you have to fill out forms? In the old <laughs> days, it took a long time. It did, but yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. All right. Well, you got anything else? No. No, we are tapped. All right. Uh, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again next time. Don't go out to any grocery stores. Don't go changing. Wow, that was pretty. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>